Hello, and welcome to How Healthcare Happens. My name's Bryn Kentish. This is the 13th episode in our COVID-19 series. In this episode, I talk with Len Richards. Len is the Chief Executive of Cardiff and Vale University Health Board. We recorded this episode on the 21st of May, 2020, just before the late May bank holiday, and we discussed Len's role and what he believes makes a good leader, especially during a time of crisis such as this one greatest challenges that UHB has faced as a result of COVID-19, the changes which have been made in response to the pandemic which Len hopes will be adopted into everyday practice going forward, and what he believes the route back to business as usual will look like, and when we get there, how usual will that even be? I hope that you enjoy this episode. Hi, Len. How are you doing? Oh, not too bad, Bryn. Not too bad. Thank you. Thanks for agreeing to chat with me today. As the chief executive of the organisation, I can imagine how busy you are. And we don't have much time, so let's get started. Yeah, no, that's fine. Can we start with with you just explaining what your role means? I'd be really interested to know what the a day in the life of the chief exec looks like. Well, all right. So it can be quite varied. If I was to try and summarize the role, it's to, to lead the organization in creating the conditions so that our clinical staff can do the best job that they can do with their patients. But that role, that's quite a general statement. So I guess key responsibilities for me would be the quality and safety of the services that are provided by clinical staff, the financial health of the organization, the relationship that we have with Welsh Government and managing that relationship through our accountability framework. But but actually, I think the, the summary term that I've used sums up it best to me. It's to create the conditions in the organisation so that clinical staff can practise at their best on behalf of our patients and the population of Cardiff and Vale. And has it changed as a result of COVID-19? What you say about creating those conditions has become obviously even more important, I suppose. But how else has it changed? Absolutely. It's changed fundamentally. Um, it's changed for the good, I would say, in the way in which we make decisions, the way in which clinicians have grabbed the agenda. And my job has become supporting the solutions that they're coming up with to be able to manage the pandemic, but also manage all of the other services that we provide in safe conditions um, around the pandemic. So so my sense is it's been a real catalyst for clinical ownership, clinical leadership. And my role has been around how do I support that? How do I make sure that as uh, myself and executives and the board actually support those clinical staff to do the best job that they can do? And so speed of decision making, reductions in bureaucracy, leadership, from all levels within the organisation has become important. Yeah, and that's something I can echo as well, because everyone that I've spoken to, more or less, has said that they're working with partners from other areas of the organisation that they might not have been able to previously. And now they have better digital capabilities and just those barriers in in between areas are just broken down, which is fantastic. Absolutely, it is. I think the barriers between professionals the barriers between departments, the barriers between organisations, ourselves and the local authorities and through the LRF with other public sector organisations have really come down. We've aligned really well how we respond to the pandemic and, and people have done that marvellously well. 
fantastic. Is that something that you'd like for the organisation to keep doing after COVID-19? Absolutely. So there's a a number of streams of work that are going on in the organisation at the moment, which are engaging with frontline clinical staff trying to really ascertain what's been better over this period and what we need to hang on to, what we need to hold on to. So my sense is we've broken new ground in the way that we've seen patients, some of the real innovations around virtual outpatients, triaging systems, support for people through apps or through various streaming models has really took us a step forward in utilising digital for the benefit of patients through this pandemic, but that will also yield a benefit going forward. So those streams of work are going on, just trying to get staff to tell us about what it what it's like working now in the organization and what they would like us to preserve going forward. And then our job as, as leaders will be to try and put those things into place in perpetuity um, so that it becomes a much more free organization to make decisions, to make decisions on behalf of WIN. We Prior to the pandemic, we, we talked a lot about how do we make sure that we make decisions that WIN would think were sensible, that WIN as a proxy for our patient would uh, benefit from. And I think we've done that through the pandemic. I think that's really coming to stark relief. Um, so how do we preserve that going forward? Yes, yeah. I was working on the communications aspect of the transformation, which is what it was called, uh, agenda. And we were talking about virtual clinics for patients like WIN. But the timescales on that were six to 18 months, maybe years in some cases. And the way it's just been accelerated is incredible. On the flip side, I'd really like to ask if it's okay, what you think the most challenging part of the response to COVID has been? So it has been challenging and it's been challenging because it's quite a a scary prospect, this idea of a pandemic that can um, hit all all ages and all all people in a sense. So some of the real tragedies um, that you hear about, you you will know that we've had members of our staff who've actually passed away as a a result of COVID-19. Those were some of the most difficult days in my whole career when I I heard that, when I was told about that. We've done an awful lot as an organisation to try and create a place of safety for our staff. And that's my responsibility and the responsibility of the board. And then you find that in these difficult situations, I think I was reading just last week that 166 members of the NHS, staff members of the NHS have lost their lives to this pandemic. Every single one of those is significant. So my sense of it, uh, some of the challenges has been around creating the confidence, responding to the needs of our staff when they've been anxious about certain things, creating the psychological support and providing the psychological support that staff have needed because some of the day's work that they've been doing over the last eight weeks has been probably some of the hardest day's work that they will ever do and have ever done. And so I think really facing into our responsibility as an organisation to create a place of safety for staff yet not fully understanding the disease itself. It's it's a new disease, COVID-19, so we didn't fully understand that at the beginning and, and still don't fully understand it now. So my sense is that's been probably the, the most challenging. Those are the things that have kept me awake at night. Our response to the disease has been fantastic. Our response to the patients has been great, exceptional and, and clinically led and clinically driven. The thing that will stay with me for some time is, did we do enough? Could we have done more 
in creating that place of safety for our staff. Yeah, I suppose it's a it's a lot to think about. You're right when you say that we don't fully understand this virus and people who have been following the news will know that only in the last week, UK government and Welsh government have announced that there is a third symptom in the case definition and that is a loss right. of taste or smell. You know, if we'd known that at the beginning, it might have been a totally different picture, but the evidence just wasn't there. That's right. And it's been a it's been a changing picture over the course of the pandemic. And we mustn't forget, and we're eight weeks into it. I, I think back over the last two months and it seems like a lifetime. It seems like uh, we've been really responding for, for many months to this. But when you when you think back, it was the middle of March when this started. And yes, we had some prior warning, but it was the middle of March that we started to see our first admissions. And, you know, we stepped up very, very quickly at that stage, but we are still only eight weeks in. And the future is a little bit unknown at the moment. Um, you know, how long is it going to last? How long will it be until we get a vaccine? If you've had COVID once, does that mean you're immune from it going forward, etc.? These are still areas that, that are still uncertain. And so we've got to bring a level of planning to that, that actually responds to those uncertainties, is fleet of foot, or enables us to change things if an assumption that we've made doesn't come to pass, or if, a, if, if it plays out in a, in a different way to the, the way in which we think it will, then how do we quickly make decisions with our clinical staff to respond to the the way in which the disease is developing. Obviously, there are a lot of services that were put on hold, like you said, in mid-March when we've had those first few admissions. You know, around that time, elective surgeries were cancelled, for example. Some outpatients appointments were also cancelled or postponed, I should say. And I was wondering, what does the route back to business as usual look like to you? Obviously, you're going to have to keep an eye on the likelihood of a second or third peak or, or wave so how how are those things being balanced yeah yeah so I, if the first thing i'd say is that i think business as usual will be, will be very different from how we were practicing prior to the the pandemic i think that we talk about a new normal we need to create an environment that is different from before just as an example of that you you know we we are all facing social distancing and physical distancing measures in all of our lives, whether it's going to the supermarkets, not meeting with friends, not meeting with family, etc. Now, if you then transpose that onto our A&E department, um, we can't have a full A&E department going forward. We're going to have to find different ways of, of responding to emergency need within the community. We can't have full outpatient departments anymore and shouldn't have them. So we're going to have to find a way of responding very differently to to outpatient type services going forward. I think these are all things that you would say are embedded within our vision, shaping our future well-being. But as you you hinted at earlier in this interview, progress around that um, has been slow and has been difficult. Getting change into services has been difficult. Well, this pandemic actually has created the impetus to make some of those changes already. And what we need to do is maximise the potential of those changes going forward. So what does the road back to business as usual look like? I think we are finding our first steps in that. I don't think we can fully spell that out at present. But what we do need to do is start to think about, has there been harm created as a result of us stopping doing certain things? Because if there has, we have to start finding a different way of providing those services. So I think virtual clinics 
will significantly increase. I, I think the way in which we will go around surgeries will be different going forward, trying to protect people who don't have COVID from areas in the organisation where we do have COVID. That's going to be with us for quite some time. And so we, this idea of green zones and red zones are things that we'll have to accommodate in a more normal fashion going forward because they're with us for the longer term. I think one of the really interesting things, and I, I was just party to a, a presentation made by our mental health clinical board earlier today, the messages that they were sending are applicable to many of our services. It's about prevention. It's about supporting the community. Never was there a greater rationale for seeing people in their own homes or for getting patients back to their own homes as quickly as we possibly can. Now, again, all of those things will be familiar to you because it's part of shaping our future well-being. But the impetus that we now have and some of the learning from the last eight weeks, I think, will help us to establish ways in which we provide services for patients um, much more close to their community, to themselves, taking services to them rather than waiting for them to trip some sort of acuity barrier to get into our service. We need to be actively working out in the community. That's the biggest message coming through the mental health, but I would say that's coming through on many of our services. It doesn't have to just be mental health as well. I mean, there's so much you can do no. to improve your physical health as far as prevention goes, healthy diet, um, lifestyle, smoking. But also... Um, because you could argue that that's in the gift of the individual, and it is. But how do we support people more to do that? How do we provide services or encouragement or support to be able to have a healthy diet, to be able to have the physical exercise that you need to remain healthy? You know, in the frail elderly, how do we prevent people falling in their own homes so that they don't fracture their hip, so that they don't require some of the services that we provide? How do we shift the balance of our care to that of a preventative nature rather than a treatment? I'm looking forward to seeing how it all plays out and I'm sure it will be for, for the better of the NHS as a whole in the long run. No, I, I couldn't agree more as, as we've reflected on. But there are many tragedies as a result of the pandemic and I think we owe it to everyone who has suffered at the hands of this pandemic to make sure that what comes out of it at the end is better better services, better support for our communities, better support for our staff in delivering our services. So we do need to reflect long and hard on what we've learned over this pandemic and then make sure that it reinforces and informs the way in which we take services forward. I just have one more question, if, you, if you've got time. Yeah. Okay, so it's a question that I'm asking everybody that I've spoken to so far, and it is just, how are you coping on a personal level with the pandemic? Obviously, you know, work is, I assume, much more stressful than it was previously, but when you go home, you're in lockdown like everyone else. How are you coping with that? No, that's right. And, and, and that's been a challenge. And, and I think that's been a challenge for, for everyone. I'm not setting myself aside in this. But there, there's something about family connections. Families are really important. They're a real support to me. Uh, again, digital. So FaceTiming with the children. Um, we haven't seen, I've got three children. They're all grown up and they're all living their own lives in different places. Uh, two of them work in healthcare at the front line. So we've had those anxieties that there, there's covid in their particular areas of work and how well protected are they. But uh, through things like FaceTime, 
through things like um, making sure that you keep those connections. I think that's that's really important. I also think there's a camaraderie that develops in these situations amongst uh, colleagues, and and certainly we feel that at an executive level, we've come together. There's been a unified approach to the pandemic, so you get a lot of support out out of that because working as a team is much better than working individually carrying things on just your set of shoulders in a sense but overall i think i think it has been challenging i think it has been quite tough the hours that people are working and again i'm not setting myself aside in this at all because i know all of our members of staff are working hard and really long hours but that takes its toll as well so so my sense is we're all doing our best in this situation to look after ourselves as well as look after the service and provide in the best way possible but the simple answer is you fall back to your family and you look for support there first and foremost excellent are you off over the bank holiday uh, yes, yes. So we've got, uh, I, I think this is the first bank holiday this year that we will take as a bank holiday. So in that, in that returning back to normal, um, what I've said to the executives, of course, we'll have an on-call and of course, there will be some visibility of executives over the bank holiday, but we're, we're, we're treating it as a bank holiday um, on a Monday to come. So looking forward to that. Yeah, enjoy it. Thanks very much, Len. All Great right. to chat to you. Thank you, Bryn. Thank you. Cheers now. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Len Richards, Chief Executive of Cardiff and Vale University Health Board. As you can probably imagine, Len's very busy, so we didn't get as much time to chat as I've had with some of my other guests. But hopefully we can arrange a follow-up interview at some point in the future. How Healthcare Happens will be back soon, and we'll continue to look at the ongoing effects that COVID-19 is having on the health system, and how it's adapting in order to treat patients who have COVID-19, as well as those who don't. If there's a particular topic or area of work that you're interested in, or someone that you'd like me to ask to be a guest on the show, please get in touch. You can find me on Twitter at cv underscore uhb, or drop me an email at news at wales.nhs.uk. In the meantime, keep safe and thanks for listening. My name's Bryn Kentish, and this was How Healthcare Happens. <laughs>